I don't know what was going on in this front corner up here. It's like a, all the big boys were standing up here. So, awesome. Well, uh, I just want to read some scripture to us as we begin our time this morning. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in, un, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to, prop, to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Titus 3, verse 14, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to be unfruitful. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning as we come now and as we turn to your word, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, we need to hear your voice, your word, um, so many voices, so many thoughts going through our heads maybe right now, um, but the one that we need to hear is you. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, you would speak. Lord, uh, we thank you for being a God who is intimately involved in our lives, that you know everything inside and out that's going on, and you know exactly what we need to hear. And so, Lord, may we be open and receptive to what you have for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're nearing our way through, uh, working our way through a series where we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and we've been looking closer at the type of people that followers of Christ are being shaped and molded into as we stay close to the Lord, um, and how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And we've used the Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 as sort of that guide for most of the things that we've been looking at, not, not humility like uh, Jordan spoke on, and maybe another one out there. But... Uh, We've worked through a number of them. We're talking about love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, goodness, um, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are, are the ones that we've been mainly working through in our time. There's a list for you to memorize. Do you got that memorized? Yeah? Yeah? Um, it's good. I know, Pam, I know you do. Um, I've heard it. So as you look at this list, we see that the follower of Christ, while not saved by his or her works, will be characterized by and becoming people who are growing in these qualities. Not just some of them, but all of them, as we're beginning to grow and more and more into Christ-likeness. And this morning we want to look at kindness and goodness. 
There's much in our world, isn't there, that isn't kind. There is much that is, um, there's a lot of, plenty of bullying, there's plenty of greed, there's plenty of sin, there's plenty of criticizing and taking advantage of others going on this week. Um, Dwayne, Dwayne, he comes into the office and uh, he knew what I was speaking on and he, and I didn't know he was such a, a guy who is into his pop music, but he came in and said, a few years ago, there was this person who came out a song, what's the opposite of kind? Mean. And uh, so he came in and he knew all about this song. Do you know this song called Mean? Bye. No one's going to admit to it. Taylor Swift, right? Taylor Swift. Dwayne knows his music. I'm telling you, who would think? Someday I'll be living in a big old city. Anybody ever heard this? No one. Thank you, Stacy. Awesome honesty there. Okay. Someday I'll be living in a big old city and you're and all you're ever gonna be is mean. Someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me and all you're ever gonna be is mean. Why you gotta be so mean? And we live in a culture, in a world, right, where there is plenty of meanness. But we follow after Christ. And may it be said of us that we're different and that we are a people who are pursuing after kindness, pursuing Jesus, and as we are, that our lives are going to be shaped by a kindness and a goodness. That's what we want to talk about this morning, but not just for kindness, for kindness sake, but that we are kind because that is, we understand and we have experienced the kindness of God to us in Christ. And then as we have experienced that, now we want to demonstrate that and, and show that and express that to others. Jack Hayford, as we, uh, a pastor and author, he describes this portion of scripture there um, in the fruit of the spirit as goodness in action, this is what he describes kindness as. Goodness in action, sweetness of disposition, gentleness in dealing with others, benevolence, kindness, affability. The word describes the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. The Holy Spirit removes abrasive qualities from the character of one who is under his control. So we've all experienced kindness in our lives in all kinds of ways, haven't we? Maybe it's the, the holding of a door open for you as you're walking into a store. Maybe it's a phone call from a friend who says, hey, I just wanted to call and check in. I was thinking about you. Maybe it's someone who's asking, how are you doing? Or, or someone who sent a note of encouragement, maybe invited you to come along to something with them or just to spend time together. Um, or maybe it's the kind of thing where someone has gone the extra mile to, to make something better for, for you. The list can go on and on, but kindness, it makes an impact, right? It changes things. It touches your life. And while there's plenty of negative things out there in this life that make an impact for the, for the worse, kindness makes a difference for the good. And so this morning, as we talk about kindness and goodness, I want us to talk about the kindness and goodness of God. I just want us to get a glimpse of it and to see that and um, because that's where we get to, to see, and that's what we see of God and as he extends his kindness and his goodness to us, and it shapes our lives, and it compels us to live in that manner towards others. And so to take a closer look at that this morning, I want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh, if you have your Bibles, let's turn there, and, um, and so we're going to just look at that whole chapter in the story that we find uh, in that passage. And so as you turn there, here's the context of what's going on as we lead up to this chapter. First and second Samuel, they can continue the story of God's people, the Israelites, 
And uh, we're told that the people in 1 Samuel, that the people, they come to this point and they're saying, we want to have a king. Just like everybody else has a king, we want to have a king. And what does God tell them uh, through the prophet, um, through Samuel? They says, there's, there's a warning. You don't want to have a king because here's all that can go wrong. Here's how life can be under, under a king, a human king. But by the end of chapter 8, we see that no. They disregard that. They say, no, we want a king. And so God says, okay, here we go. And they select uh, Saul to be their king as their first king. Things go okay for a little bit, but before too long, things are headed down the wrong direction, and King Saul, um, he ends up dying. Following his death, King David, he comes into leadership, and he seems great. He's, he's anointed as king over Israel, God's chosen king, and he, God makes this covenant with him. And so if we look back before the chapter that we're going to be in here this morning at chapter 7, in verses 9 through 13, we get to read about this covenant that God made with him, this promise that, that God um, made with David. So let's just read that to see this is what's going on, and this is David who is set up to, to rule now. It says uh, in verse 9 of chapter 7, 2 Samuel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Here's his promise. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they, will, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will, and I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. There's this promise. What's the promise? The covenant that he makes with him is saying that I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. And that in your line, there's going to be one who is going to reign forever and ever. Some pretty good promises there. And so that's in chapter 7. There's this covenant that God makes with David. Chapter 8, we get to hear the see the stories and the reports about how David has all these victories and how the enemies are being defeated. Things are going well. And so that's what's going on as we lead here into chapter 9, where we're going to get a glimpse today of King David demonstrating the kindness of God. So let's read chapter 9 here together. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, 
All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. It's one of just favorite stories, and it just, just reminds us of the kindness of God. As we look at this passage, there's a few things. What do we see about this kindness? What is the glimpse of God's kindness that we get here? The first, one of the first things we see here as we look at verse 1 is that the kindness pursues. That there is a kindness is seeking after. Uh, we see here David, he's remembering. Uh, David is looking to show kindness is what we see here, right? And David, he's a man of his word back in uh, as you look back at the relationship that David had with Jonathan and with Saul, numerous times and uh, there were points at which David made a promise and he said, I will not cut off your offspring. I'm not going to do it. In his relationship with Jonathan, they, they come to this point uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, where there's this promise this, uh, made between the two of them. The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. He's saying, we're going to, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to take care of your family. Or in 2 Samuel 24, when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. And he makes this promise to him. And David swears to this to Saul that he would not cut off his offspring after him and that he wouldn't destroy his name. And so there are, there's this promise and he's a man of his word. We see that in David. It's unique because as a new king would come in, it wasn't unheard of and it was pretty common that when the next king would come in that they would clear out the, the family members of the previous king. And so here it makes sense whenever we see that Mephibosheth comes and he's afraid because he's not sure what's going to happen. But David makes it very clearly that he is seeking to show the kindness of God. He's asking because he wants to show God's kindness and so that helps us to, to Pay attention here. So what does this kindness of God look like? What we see here is that the kindness of God remembers and it keeps his promises no matter what the conditions are. Three times we hear this said here, this word for kindness. The Hebrew word being translated as kindness is chesed. One commentator says this of the translation. Either kindness or loving kindness are good one-word renderings in English, but the semantic range of the word is difficult to capture in a single word. And so here, this kindness that we're talking about is, is, a, is God's kindness. See that repetition in verse 1 and verse 3? That question is just coming at it again uh, twice to us. There's an emphasis in it. Is there still someone left for the house of, from this house of Saul that I may show him kindness? Verse 1. Verse 3. Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? That's the focus. The focus of this chapter that we're looking at this morning. David promised to show kindness to Jonathan's line. And just as God promised kindness to David's line, David was not the enemy of the house of Saul. 
but he was an agent of God's kindness working to benefit Saul's family. And so God's kindness is being shown. No matter what happens, his kindness is promised. It's a promise that we all have. John 3.16, was it? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's kindness towards you is motivated by love. And as we see David expressing the kindness of God, we also see in verses 2 and 3 that Jonathan's son is one who is in need of kindness. What do we find out about him? Ziba, who is Saul's servant, he comes in and, and now he says, I'm your servant now, David. Um, smart guy. He's not coming into a new king's presence saying, I was the other guy's servant. Um, but Ziba says here, yeah, there is still a son of Jonathan. And what's the one tidbit of information that he gives? That he's crippled. He's crippled in both feet. We don't get a name for him. We just, he just says that here's the deal with this person. He's a cripple. And in that day and age especially, being crippled was not a helpful thing. There's, there was a need for help on all kinds of levels. At this point, we don't even get the name for, for Mephibosheth. We just know that he has two crippled feet. He's one who is totally reliant for, for washing, for eating, for dressing. Here's one in, of need, in need of kindness in every way. It doesn't matter how long ago the promise was made or how, what the conditions were of the promise. There was a loyalty and there was a faithfulness. See this? This kindness that we're talking about this morning, that it's God's kindness, is one that isn't conditional. It isn't because of any initiative that was taken part of by, by Mephibosheth that there is this kindness being shown. He's in no position to ask for anything. He's just a recipient of the kindness that is seeking him out. This is the same as how we are with God, isn't it? We deserve punishment, but we are loved by God. Last week, Brent was sharing from Ephesians chapter 2, where this is the point. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working the sons of disobedience. We deserve punishment. We are dead. We are helpless. We're hopeless. But what happens? What happens? It's kindness, right? As the passage continues on, but God who is being rich in mercy because of his great love towards us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved. This kindness is motivated by love. It doesn't matter what's changed. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter how unworthy you are. God has promised to shower us with his kindness so that we don't have to worry about losing his love. Let's promise Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a comfort. That's the kindness of God. He's never broken a promise ever. And so there's this kindness that seeks out. There's this kindness that is loyal. God's kindness is faithful. Continues on. What else can we learn from this? So the story continues on. David says, okay, well, let me know about this this one who is Jonathan's son, where is he? 
Well, what do we know about him? Not only is he a cripple, but he's not, no longer in the house of Saul. He, we're told that he's in the house of someone other than that, not even in Jonathan's house. He's in a town called Lodibar, which whenever you look that up, it has a root meaning for part of it meaning nothing. So there's this, this you know, just builds this picture. And Mephibosheth is the name that we find out is given to this lame man. In 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, it tells us about how he was injured. It says this, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old whenever the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she fled in her haste, he fell, and he became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And so David sends for him, and he brings him back, and he says, I want you to come, and what does he do? But he comes, and he falls on his face, and he gives homage to King David. Because he knows how things can go whenever new kings take over and you're a family member of the previous king. Mephibosheth, he would have known all about the victories of David that were going on, that were told of in chapter 8. And he has no reason really to expect anything other than death, maybe. And see how he goes in. He's probably scared. He falls on his face and he says, and David, what does he say? First thing, he says his name. Calls him out by name, Mephibosheth. And he answers, behold, I am your servant. Look at the kindness that David bestows on Mephibosheth whenever he comes. This one who is not deserving, this one who is fearful, maybe reliant, he's crippled, he's in need of help. He comes before David and, and he falls on his face. And as David calls his name, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In verse 7, David says, here's what's going to happen. What does God's kindness do? Here's what happens. David says, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore all of Saul's lands to you. It's all yours. I'm going to show kindness for the sake of your father. I'm going to restore to you all the land of Saul. But not only that, it does it restore, but it gives rights. And David gave Mephibosheth the privilege it seemed like amazing, right? He says, I want you to come, and you have a place at my table. A place at the king's table, always. And David provided for Mephibosheth with a large contingent of servants and everything. He says, here, these people are going to go in and take care of the land and bring in the harvest. This promise that we see here, it's in the middle of the chapter. It is the centerpiece of what this is all about. This is the kindness of God. David is saying to him, I'm going to show kindness, and his promise is protection. You don't have to fear anything. There's a promise of provision in his kindness. There's the land of the Father coming. There's a a promise of position at the table. This kindness has nothing to do with Mephibosheth, and he knows it, and he's like, why why me? Verse 8, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He's like, I'm like a dead dog. I am worthless. I am a slave. I am your servant. I am nothing. Why are you being so kind? And this is the kindness of God for us. As we look throughout the New Testament, as we are told and we are reminded of, of God's kindness for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, just as there was protection for Mephibosheth, there is protection for us as we trust in the Lord. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? There's protection from the wrath of God. 
In Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, what what else do we see? But we see that there is this provision. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That many who are first will be last and the last will be first. There's, There's a a position, a promise of position for us as we follow after and as we trust in Christ. And the people, Luke 13, 29, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. We're invited to the table, just like Mephibosheth was. There's protection, there's provision, there's position. And listen to a few more verses of what the Lord says to his people in his word. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What's the promise? He just keeps on being a generous God. He is so good to us. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He gives us everything that we need. He is so generous. John chapter 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What an amazing kindness. His promises are almost too good to be true that he would be so good and kind to us. It's crazy. Look at the abundance of kindness. And as we go and we continue this, in verse 9, the story keeps going on. Do you see how Mephibosheth is viewed now? The kindness not only pursues him, not only does this kindness provide for him, but it gives him that place of position. I just want to come back to this, this whole seat at the table thing. He's not viewed as a servant or as a dog who is eating scraps, but he is viewed and he is treated as a son. His life is more than spared. And even his son Micah and and Saul's servants are provided for. That's the kindness of God. Here he is. He's a lame guy. He was the enemy, but he's spared and he's given life. He's the enemy turned family. He finds himself elevated to the most unbelievable of positions and seats at the table, a privileged position, more than he could have ever imagined. Don't forget where he's come from. Don't forget. He was in a helpless condition. And so are we. Romans 5, 6 through 11. Let's just hear our situation and the kindness of God. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. Only the kindness of God can do that for you. We get a glimpse here of the kindness of God in this story with Mephibosheth, but know that this kindness of God, this is the kindness of God towards you. We are all Mephibosheth. We are helpless. We have nothing to offer. We are broken. We expect, we should expect death. But because of God's kindness, we don't get it. And if we don't see ourselves as Mephibosheth in this story, then we are far worse off than Mephibosheth. 
And so if this is the kindness of God and we are becoming more and more like him and we are called to be people who are kind, what does that look like? What does that look like to live that out in your life and to express that and to, to treat others in these ways? First, let's be a people who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, show kindness wherever it is that we are at. Let's be intentional about it. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in this, to guide us. Let's show this in our midst to brothers and sisters in our own uh, community of faith. Two weeks ago, we talked about patience. Well, this is the answer to those people who you need patience for. Show kindness. Let's show kindness. Kindness surprises is the other thing. This week I was, uh, I got a phone call out of nowhere and this person calls up and says, hey, are you around? I got something I want to give to you. And I'm like, mm, yes, I'm around. I have no clue what this is. And next thing I know, someone is showing up and walking in a plate of sticky buns. And it was just like, what? Where did this even come from? Just that wonderful surprise, just such kindness. And it just, you know, it makes a difference. It makes an impact. And that's what kindness does. It's surprising. Over and over, God is so kind to us, so good. And so let's show kindness and let's see how the Lord opens up doors. Another thing that kindness does, it opens up doors for conversations, maybe spiritual conversations, as we look to have those kinds of um, connections with folks to share the hope that we have in Christ. Here in the back, as you walked in, you saw that there's these bags. And, and so I want to ask you to pick one up on your way out. And on it are all the directions that you need. Because I want to encourage kindness. I want us to be people who are intentional about going out and saying, hey, God, um, would you just lead me? Would you direct me to a person that I can encourage today? And, and just surprise somebody. And just give them, these are simple little bags. You see what's in them. Uh, on the outside are the directions. Is the idea? Number one direction, pick up a bag. So pick up a bag, okay, guys? And then uh, it'll lead you through. You know, here's some of the options. Maybe I'll just read them to you. Then you'll read it. Um, take to someone who you know needs encouragement and, and give it to them and say, hey, can I pray, pray with you? You just came to mind. Uh, or take it to a drive through restaurant. That one might be different. Might throw them off big time. Like, here, I just want to give this to you. Um, and so just give it, give it to someone. Ask Jesus who... Uh, would you like me to encourage today? Start there. Just, God, is there someone that I can encourage that you would bring to mind for me to do this with? And lastly, take it shopping. Wait for a Holy Spirit nudge. Give it to the person. Offer prayer. So I just found this online, some of this idea. Um, and before you do it, take off this, this okay? So don't, don't leave it on there. Um, so that's the idea. So please, there's, there's enough for you to take back there. Just, I don't want to see them there afterwards, so please take. Um, and then take it with you. Maybe it's for another time. Maybe it's for in a week or so, you know, but just have it ready and be praying about it. who can I encourage and who can I show kindness to and be intentional about it. Um, how can we not be amazed? How can we not be amazed, right? As we have sung about the kindness of God towards us over and over this morning, as we, as we know the truth of the gospel, as God's word spells it out over and over from the beginning to the end, the kindness of God. He reached out to us. He's invited us to come. Even though we're broken, even though we're so broken, even though we are the enemies, he invites us 
and he invites us to come to the table. Not because of any goodness on our part, but all because of his grace and his kindness. That's our God. You think Mephibosheth had any problem going? I don't think so. I think he was, he heard that. He's like, you have a seat at the table the rest of your life. Like he's like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going. It was a joy for him. And so I want to close with some passages of scripture that encourage us in showing kindness. First Thessalonians five fifteen. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Romans 15, verses 1 and 2, we have, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Ephesians 4, 31, the second verse of chapter 5, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's been so good to us, so, so good. More kind to us than we deserve. And so let's give him our lives and let's show his kindness to those he puts in our ways. As we prepare to just take partake of communion together this morning is um, if you're a follower of Christ, you are welcome to, to join us this morning as we partake of, of Holy Communion. And if you, if you have not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ, I want to invite you to do so now. This is the kindness of God. He is so kind to us. We're all broken, messed up, failed people. And he welcomes us and he invites you to come and and to know and experience his love and his kindness. And so if you would place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, and, and you look to the cross and you say, yes, I'm trusting in, in, in you, Lord, in what you have accomplished there, that there is where forgiveness of sins is found, and that I'm going to follow after you. If that's where you're at this morning, you're turning from living a life for self to living a life for the Lord and trusting in him then you know that this invitation is for you also, where he invites you to come and to be a part of the family. And so I welcome you, if you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord, to participate with us. As we prepare, I just want to read these lyrics. It's from a song that I really um, enjoy. It's from this story, uh, the lyrics taken from the idea of this story that we read this morning of Mephibosheth. It says this, Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. Broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's courts, I was lifted by the savior and cradled in his arms. I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. 
carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord. Fighting thoughts of fear and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? This world has left me lame. And even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. And in his holy presence, I am healed and unashamed. And as I'm carried to the table, seated where I don't belong, carried to the table, I'm swept away by his love, and I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. Carried to the table, the table of the Lord. So, is that where you're at this morning? Are you in that place of fear? Are you in that place of brokenness? In that place of feeling wounded, forsaken, forgotten, lost and all alone. Know that you are loved, loved, so deeply loved by God. And he invites you, and he invites you to come to the table. And so this morning, that's where we're coming. We're coming to the table. And so let's quiet our hearts. And you just, let's bow our heads. Let's just humbly just Rest in that and consider the kindness of God for us. Remember his amazing grace. Reflect on the undeserved mercy of Jesus. Let's examine our hearts in light of being rescued from the sure death that we deserved and is rightfully ours. And as we come, let's proclaim the Lord's death in anticipation of his coming again. Father in heaven, we we come now humbly. And we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and for your kindness. So Lord, may we not take it for granted. May we not take it lightly. But in this time, as we hold the elements in our hands, might we be freshly reminded how deep your love is for us. In your name we pray, amen. As uh, the guys come, here's what Jesus Paul reminds us that Jesus said, he said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night whenever he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.